and it's just an incredible sort of work environment as well. If it's more diverse, it will be more equal in outcome. Welcome to episode six of the second season of Starts at the Top, our podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. Our podcast aims to bring you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. On today's episode, we're sharing an interview we did at the beginning of November with Dharma Satyanathan, partner at Bethnal Green Ventures, where we talk about tackling the world's social and environmental challenges through tech for good, as well as tackling other issues such as diversity and inclusion in the sector and many more topics. And it's proving to be a busy end to 2020 and it's been a, a really odd year. So what's catching your eye this week, Zoe? There were a couple of stories which caught my eye and it'd be really interesting to see how these play out. The first thing that caught my eye was that there is a new body called the Digital Markets Unit. And this is basically a new emerging regulator for the UK tech sector. I think the idea behind it is to make sure big tech companies like Google and Facebook operate in a more ethical way. Other people will follow this topic will know that some of the big issues around the monopoly that big tech can have in in some instances results in some potentially shady practices around use of data. There's been a review recently, I think, for the Competition and Markets Authority, which also flags things like reduced innovation when you have a bit of monopoly in any area. So I think there's some really interesting issues to be worked through there. There's going to be a new code of conduct to which these big tech companies will need to adhere. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out, particularly in the post-Brexit environment. That also really connects with what the US is going through at the moment with the um, potential breakup of Facebook, looking at the acquisitions that they've made and, and how competition and markets theory there, but really is pretty much backing that up. And also backs up the um, that we talked earlier in the, the season about the the actual tech companies themselves creating a union as well. So I think it was Google, wasn't it, that was creating a, a union for employees where these issues were going to be brought to the fore and made front and centre. So looks like a good connection there between the authorities and the organisations themselves actually taking more responsibility for for some of this. I agree. I think this stuff that's going on in the US around the the potential breakup of Facebook is a really interesting story because uh, we saw a big backlash against big tech a couple of years ago, which then the story continued, but I I think it's gone a, a little bit quieter and perhaps focused on some of the issues within that, such as the online harms white paper that DCMS have produced and of course the pandemic has knocked everything for six as well but I do wonder whether because this story that's coming out of the US around Facebook and also the online harassment task force that Biden looks to be starting when he takes up office in January whether the wind is beginning to change uh, go against big tech so it will be fascinating to see how all of this plays out in the new year. Yeah, and in, in kind of related news as well, I think I mentioned, you know, carrying on, a, on on the big gaming side of things that we've explored a little bit in the last few episodes. This week saw the pending acquisition, I think, of British computer game designer called Codemasters. People as old as me will remember back in the, the 80s heyday playing these games, loading them on from cassette onto the ZX Spectrum, the likes of the Dizzy games and, and things like that. They now specialise in driving games. It looks like 
uh, electronic arts are going to be buying them for for over one billion pounds which is a, a massive massive deal and it's interesting because i think the correlation between these two stories is that i've noticed uh, certainly over the last 12 months to, to 24 months both sony and microsoft who are the major players in the the video game market starting to make acquisitions gaming studios starting to really bolster their operations and their ability to make these first party games you have to buy the microsoft system or you have to buy the Sony system in order to play them. But what it looks like to me is is that they might end up in the same place as these big tech organisations because the value for the consumer is is sort of disappearing here where we used to be able to buy a console and play games across multiple creators. What we're looking at now is we're going to have to buy Microsoft if we want to play these particular types of game or we're going to have to buy Sony and their PlayStation if we want to play these extra types of games. So nothing really too serious about it yet, but I wonder in the future whether we might be facing something similar where some of these acquisitions will be looked into in terms of, of competition. Absolutely. I, I think this this very much resonates with the tech stories we just talked about. It feels like there's a similar theme here about increasing competition, protecting the consumer's data as well, and forcing everyone to raise their game quite rightly when it comes to ethics. So I'm expecting to see a lot more of this stuff in 2021 and looking forward to thinking about how we can keep those conversations going as, as part of this podcast as well. Definitely. Well, yeah, look for some gaming episodes. We've already talked about some music episodes. So we, we really do need to um, get our thinking caps on about who would like to come on. So with that in mind, if you're listening to this podcast and you think you would like to hear a topic you know, delved into in great detail by me and Zoe in the next sort of six months or so, do let us know and we can build that in as part of our programming. We are delighted to welcome our next guest to the podcast today. Dharma Satyanathan is a partner at Bethnal Green Ventures, Europe's leading early stage tech for good VC, supporting ambitious founders using technology to tackle social and environmental challenges. At Bethnal Green Ventures, she leads on communications and community, fueling the wider tech for good movement. Since 2012, Bethnal Green Ventures has invested in over 130 ventures, of which more than half are still active and tackling 15 out of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, raising over 80 million in further funding. Dharma previously worked for international NGOs such as Help Age International and the Coalition for the ICC using digital and data for good and she has a background in international relations and global development. She's also director at CHAIN, a CIC creating intersectional online resources and services for domestic abuse survivors. Dharma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's always a bit bizarre to hear someone's bio read out to them as well. But yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Oh, we're delighted to have you here. It's also funny when you sort of sit and watch people's reaction to the bio as well. (laughs) It's hard hearing about yourself and all your many victories. So I got introduced to Bethnal Green Ventures in my time at Grant Thornton. I came and visited the offices on one day and there was a project trying to get underway. So I've got a rough idea of what you're all about and what you do. But for our listeners that haven't heard of Bethnal Green Ventures, what is it that you do and, and what's the role that you play in that? So I'll try to keep this in a nutshell, but for anyone who wants to know more, please do get in touch. We're always open to sort of discussions and chats with others in the sector as well. But 
Bathmo Green Ventures sort of started out in 2009 as a sort of reaction to the financial crisis with a lot more people who were sort of active in the social sector, in the third sector, in civil society organizations working towards poverty reduction and ending loneliness, who all came together in Bathmo Green, actually in the Young Foundation, hence the name sort of Bathmo Green emerged as well, to sort of explore the potential of digital technologies and how we can use and leverage technology to to do good. And it sort of started out as a meetup group who then sort of morphed into running sprints and hackathons, which emerged into something that became social innovation camps. But what the sort of founders of Bath and Green Ventures were faced with were the questions from participants to of these hackathons and how they can actually quit their jobs and do this full time. And sort of at the same time, there was the startup factories emerged in in the US and in other areas of the world as well, which seemed like a really easy sort of model to replicate in, in the UK as well, with a lot of backing from government at the time through the Cabinet Office's Social Incubation Fund as well. Bethel Green Ventures was born to sort of start out an accelerator model to pilot first how it would work to really bring purposeful businesses together, people who want to build businesses out of wanting to do something good as well. So leveraging technology to tackle pressing sort of social environmental challenges, but also to make a profit while doing it as well. So not necessarily alleviating any sort of financial returns that you could actually get from running it sustainably. And that's the story of how Bethel Green Ventures was born because the pilot was very successful. We had a lot of learnings and we got a lot of backing from individual investors as well as institutional investors like Big Society Capital and Nesta who really wanted to put some money behind this as well. And Bethel Green Ventures was then born in 2012. And since then, we've been helping founders, really ambitious, diverse entrepreneurs who wanted to do good and do well build and launch their businesses as well. Day to day, it sort of looks like that we run a, um, what is called an accelerator program, but it's essentially a three month program, which helps anyone who doesn't necessarily have a business background to, to actually get an understanding of how to build purpose into your business models, because it's all about ensuring that impact is going to be the core of your business as well, which also includes sort of rigorous impact measurement, looking how to build products that are humane and that are responsible and do not necessarily gear towards more addictive patterns as well. So really looking into exercises for consequence scanning and so much more in in sort of three months, which is quite a sort of short amount of time. But the support that BGV provides to these founders is lifelong, plus a really nice sort of investment of 30K, which they can spend either on sort of living expenses because founders startup life is incredibly hard and incredibly expensive in London as well and continues on to sort of help you build a product paying for sort of tech development if that's the the way you want to use the money as well but it's just a really great way to sort of get you from that ideation prototype MVP stage to actually launching your business as well. Wow, that sounds like such a fantastic way to support the amazing tech for good entrepreneurs of tomorrow. And and I know later in the conversation, we're going to be talking a bit about diversity, as as you mentioned there. So I'm really excited about exploring that with you. But we were saying earlier that 2020 has been such a momentous year of change. With those social sector professionals that you're working with and your wider colleagues across the social sector, in your experience, how do you think those working lives have changed for everyone? 
one. And where does the Bethnal Green Ventures worker tech help with that? And to a large extent, everyone who sort of works in the tech and VC industry, if it's a sort of a tech solution, we can sort of talk about how our portfolio ventures have definitely adapted to this environment in a second. But for us, it was really focused on pivoting our program to enable it to be run remotely as well, because previously all of our programs were happening in London. So it also meant that people from outside London had to actually travel in, which is also quite expensive. <laughs> so it actually helped a lot of people by adapting the program to be purely online. It actually helped them to give them a bit of structure in very uncertain times as well, particularly for our own team as well, because a lot of the workshops had to be facilitated in a different way as well. And that's, I think, across the board. So other sort of tech for good key stakeholders or delivery service deliverers had to all just adapt. And I think that in March, April, it was such a pivotal time for us to actually hit the ground running and continue to support these ambitious founders, particularly because the funding landscape is just incredibly precarious now with more and more angst, especially with what could potentially be the economic impacts of COVID-19. We have a better picture now, six months later, but we still don't know what the long-term consequences could be across the board, as well as I mean, looming Brexit, <laughs> the US election. Uh, there are just so many variables that make for an uncertain future, but the emphasis then on work attack is really around finding and supporting businesses that are building ventures, that are building businesses that are geared towards supporting low-income workers, especially because they were the ones that bore the brunt of the crisis as well. If we look at the stats, we see that there was mass unemployment. A lot of jobs have been lost, especially after the furlough schemes have been ended and are now coming back, which is a good thing, but a little too late maybe for a lot of people. Particular sectors where low incomes were the norm have just closed down because there were no support packages available. There were no bailouts available. So they, they are still and we are on the lookout for more of these worker tech ventures as well, just geared towards finding tech solutions that can help people upskill, for example. So access to how you can have skills transfers to different jobs as well that can sort of lift you out of this poverty gap when it comes to low income work as well. Those are the type of solutions that we're super, super excited by. But we've had a few sort of really amazing examples in our portfolio already, like Organize, which is a platform for the worker voice, as we call it. It's basically a campaigns platform. The membership just exploded. It went from 80,000 in March to 800,000 just a month ago. And 60% of those members earn an income of less than 18,000 pounds, which considering that London in living wage is somewhere around £25,000. It's just mad that this still exists. But they've had, these workers themselves have used the platform to actually advocate for fairer working conditions, for better PPE equipment, especially if they're frontline workers, for the continuation of the furlough scheme, for better and safer working conditions in warehouses, because deliveries kept on were incredibly in demand during these times of lockdown as well. So there have been some really exciting examples where we've seen a massive growth and incredible support for the workers who are not who don't necessarily have enough disposable income to get them through these uncertain times as well. And in your work, you must see 
so many big digital trends coming through, particularly in the context of the, the tech for good initiatives that you're running and that you're supporting, and also some of those big social and environmental challenges that Bethnal Green Ventures is looking to help solve. What are those big digital trends that you're seeing emerging in those areas? Over the past year or two, we've seen a massive spike in people trying to build tech solutions that can tackle the climate emergency we're in. So a lot more focused on, obviously, a lot is sort of focused on climate adaptation. So how can we change our behaviors in order to become climate positive and climate conscious and uh, reduce sort of carbon emissions extensively on the individual level, but also organizations, which might have a lot of impact if it's done right. But we've also seen more and more solutions actively tackling the root causes of climate change as well, which is super, super exciting. We've seen quite a lot more on sort of what we consider to be better society. So it's a lot more civic tech that is geared towards reducing inequalities, particularly for people from underrepresented communities. That also goes into sort of employment opportunities and removing unconscious bias in the hiring process, which is super exciting. And there's so many amazing, amazing tech solutions out there that tackle that particular problem. We see quite a large number of inbounds as well into our inbox, or we have a particular contact form as well for any founder who wants to know more about our offer and wants to chat about how whether there might be a fit to join the program as well. And a lot of those have focused on health tech as well. Uh, So looking into how we can prevent particular diseases from emerging as well. A lot of these have also emerged as a result of COVID-19. So for better track and tracing, for better healthcare provision and access to healthcare as well, which is a huge, huge problem for people with less disposable income. They're like incredible solutions, incredible ideas coming to the forefront as well, which is always super, super exciting. One of the really exciting things about the work that you're doing at Bethnal Green Ventures is all that collaboration between different sectors that you're helping engender on tech for good initiatives. You and I, I think, have spoken before about how there should absolutely be more collaboration in that way. Together, how can we make that happen, you know, in the various different sectors where we work? How can we get all of these different sectors to collaborate more on digital It's always quite hard to answer this because it it will always come back. We need more government support for this. And um, government is also always transitioning, it seems, so it's a hard nut to crack. DCMS, for example, have put in tech for good as one of the sort of priority areas in in the civil society strategy. And Zuri, who was sort of all involved in the making of the civil society strategy through the different workshops as well. So I guess quite familiar with this. But one of the things that has happened and in the past year or so was a bit more experimentation. So DCMS funded the Future of News Fund that Bethnal Green Ventures was partnering with Nesta to deliver, which was such an exciting project because it was looking into how we can rejuvenate public interest news and how we can actually build sustainable business models for any type of organization to deliver public interest news to underserved communities as well. So the fund was actually very explorative in the nature and the design of the programs were also incredibly collaborative. So we worked with Nesta and had a whole stakeholder group of different key stakeholders and individuals and organizations who represent different 
parts of the news industry and ecosystem, as well as the funding ecosystem as well, which is super crucial in this. And it was just so incredible to see how we can actually structure different types of programs for different types of organizations. So Beth and Green Ventures focused on the ones that were for profit and very focused on looking at sustainable business models, but also delivering news to Black communities. So Black Ballad is a really good example, who are one of the recipients of the Future of News Fund. But Nesta for focused on the ones where co-ops, Bristol Cable was part of the, of the cohort. We had non-profit charities, as well as Kicks, who received funding as well to just prototype and test ideas and actually have this money to sort of continue working on how we can collectively deliver public interest news to hold government to account, but also to deliver essential information. And that was exactly when the pandemic hit as well. A lot of the content that came out from these organizations at the time was really geared towards fighting disinformation about the impacts of COVID-19, about the symptoms as well, but also about the disproportionate effect it had on ethnic minority communities as well, which was so crucial at the time. And these type of collaboration initiatives are just really hard to come by if there is no funding. But then we also had different examples with Beth and Green Ventures. We partnered with Resolution Foundation who are an incredible charitable organization just focused with a lot of research on the low wage workforce and how innovation can happen in in this space as well. But also looking into providing hard evidence for the Living Wage Foundation, for example. And we've been partnering with them to work on our worker tech stream since 2017. And we're going to continue partnering with them and now, which will hopefully be announced in two weeks' time. So I can't disclose that right now. But uh, yeah, It's just a really exciting endeavor to bring different organizations together to work towards one common goal. So I think what sounds so exciting about that is that as much as being a funder, you're also there as a convener of of these different sectors. And you talk there about the support that you're giving to charities as well. What kind of digital skills would you like to see more charities develop? When I was still in the charity sector, we always talked about like technical skills in-house, given particularly if you're a charity based out of London, it's just incredibly hard to retain any sort of tech talent in-house because it's so expensive. Which is why I feel like not necessarily technical skills in charities, but technical intuition. So enough understanding of how tech processes work, how tech development actually happens without necessarily having a tech team in the charity to build tech services. But knowing when to say no to sort of feature creep, for example, or when to... um, when to make a fair assessment on whether the developers are asking for too much money for little, little updates in in your tech product as well. The, The whole point of charitable organizations should also be more effective in collaborating with each other, especially if, if they are charitable organizations working in the same domain. So I wish there was just a lot more open source technology being built. In my head, it just doesn't work if a charity works on a tech product and then just keeps the code unpublished. 
and doesn't consider how you might retire or how you might hand over a particular tech product to another organization if you cannot necessarily find any funding for it as well. So I would love to see more collaborative approaches to tech development. And there are some really amazing organizations like Founders Encoders run the Tech for Better program. And that's particularly geared towards helping charitable organizations as well as social impact organizations that are for profit to build that technical intuition by actually getting founders and coders, the graduates from their programs, giving them to the charity as sort of tech team and uh, helping them with product management of a MVP or prototype development as well. And that's been so, so crucial just to upscale different sort of charity workers. So the people who have taken part in these types of programs were in different functions as well at the charity. So they could have been the HR manager, they could have been actually the comms person, they could have been someone who is actually delivering the services at the front line. So it's really, really important to sort of see that technical intuition upskilling happens across the organization, not just vested in one department. I love that point about the tech intuition, because I think that is just as important as the technical skills, as you say. We've talked on this podcast about organisations, and you just said it yourself, there's different charitable organisations, public sector organisations who might be working on solving the same issue and the crossover and how they share technology and how they leave legacy technology to other people to develop. I think that's a really strong point. Also, within the corporate sector, we're seeing lots of big organisations. I was part of one who were trying to sort of explore this purpose and profit model, being much more overt about following a purpose over profit led approach. Do you see big corporate organizations coming to you sort of looking for a, a magic bullet in that sense? Is that something that, that comes along from time to time? And how do you deal with that? Do you mean if corporations are now shifting the narratives to say purpose is more important than profit or in, in terms of like wanting to do something and offering the help? Yeah, in, in wanting to do something but not necessarily being the type of organisation that finds this easy. So, for example, you've talked about things like sprints and different ways of working that big organisations just aren't up to speed with necessarily. So when they come to the table, yes, they might have the money to offer, they might be able to bring resources, they might be able to bring funding. But do you find that you're driving the skills agenda within those big organisations because they just don't have the capacity to connect to you in the way that they should be able to connect to you? I mean, sometimes we do. Uh, sometimes we've got partnerships that particularly geared towards helping people understand how this sort of methodology works for running a sort of accelerator program as well. So we did, we had a partnership with Unilever, which was sort of different funded as well to look into how we can support entrepreneurs who are particularly building sort of tech solutions in Washington sanitation, but also for energy access across sub-Saharan Africa. That was also as part of actually Unilever and different types of individuals and in, as part of that partnership trying to also determine what type of methodology they can adopt afterwards as well so and that sort of happens quite on a regular basis as well we did something similar with facebook 
Youngs ago, which was also looking into how can build more of an ecosystem and make a mark to provide better support to startups that are geared towards building communities online. And they have gone on to build really social impact accelerator programs as well that keep running in different regions of the world now as well, which is super exciting. There's loads and loads more corporate interest. Well, and that's also something that we've seen in our Tech for Good meetup community. So Bethel Green Ventures runs the Tech for Good London meetup together with CAST, the Centre for Acceleration of Social Technology. And it's just a beautiful community because it includes people from all walks of life, really. We've got corporates who come along, we've got government, we've got startup entrepreneurs, we've got just Tech for Good enthusiasts who just want to learn more and be inspired and connect to others as well and maybe make a move to a different industry afterwards. We've got amazing sort of non-profits joining us and for-profit organisations, funding organizations as well and it's just it's grown to become a 9,800 membership community which is incredibly engaging as well which is one of the sort of ways try to build a platform for people so they can collaborate more effectively as well sort of morphed into becoming a slack community now just because it's incredibly hard to continue facilitating good community management in this sort of online world now but yeah and we see a lot of sort of incredible fascinating people coming onto our slack just offering their helps as well, their help and resources and who want to essentially offer up their skills to help nonprofit organizations as well as for-profit social impact organizations. And, and it's such a great community to be a part of. That sounds fascinating and, and a brilliant way to create that collaboration that you were talking about earlier. Now, you and I have chatted quite a few times before about diversity in the social sector and how this can be improved and whether digital has, has a role in that. What are your thoughts on that, particularly during this especially challenging year we're all in? Oh, that's always a fun issue. I'm, I'm not super well informed how it's played out in the charity sector over the last couple of months, but I've seen like the amazing work that Martha has done with Charity So White, which was just needed. Some of those stories that come out on a daily basis resonate just a lot with people from underrepresented communities that we know in the charity sector as well. The one thing I'd say about diversity, equity and inclusion, because it's also a lot of times it's more around understanding that the barriers to accessing positions in the charity sector, as well as in the sort of social impact investment space, are just incredibly harder for people who come from underrepresented communities. So even the sort of starting point is just different, particularly in the VC industry and in the industry that I am now. It's all about warm introductions and connections if you're not Oxbridge educated, you're less likely to get a sort of introduction or access to capital from XYZ fund, which is just an incredibly bad for diversity. But there have been some exciting initiatives that have emerged from this as well, where POC Impact will bring together amazing, amazing people of color in the impact space. And that's regardless of whether you're for-profit or non-profit. Diversity in general, when it comes to the charitable sector, I just, like my previous organization where I worked, was maybe one of seven people of color in the London office, which was the headquarter for a large international organization. Even, even that sort of is very sort of representative for a lot of other larger NGOs as well. And it's just incredibly hard for any person of color to actually attain the same sort of access to opportunities than their white peers, for example. So 
what I would love to see is just more diversity in outcome, um, as well as more access to opportunities and just a lot more people educating themselves because there are a lot of amazing resources out there, a lot of incredible books that people can read and really educate themselves on without having to ask yet another Black person what Black Lives Matter is about or why particular instances happen and what sort of the inequities are. It's such a hard question to answer, but I guess people just need to educate themselves on these particular issues. And they're like charities of white, for example, just follow along on Twitter. That's, that's an easy step for anyone who wants to know more about this. There are some really great initiatives in the tech sector as well with Your Story, Your Startup, uh, which is called YSYS, who have also started, embarked on a Know Your Data campaign, which is all about publishing what you fund, but also publishing who you represent in your team. So Bethel Green Ventures, for example, is probably one of the only impact investor VCs or VCs in general, venture capitalists, who have actually published data, diversity and inclusion data about our own team makeup. We're 11 people in our core team, 16, including our investment committee and our board. And 68%, roughly 69% are females or identify as women. And more than 30% come from an ethnic minority background, which is already more than the average in the industry, which is amazing to see. And it's just an incredible sort of work environment as well. If it's more diverse, it will be more equal in outcome. It's a real shared challenge, isn't it? And as you say, there's such a key point about owning the the, the problem as well at, at leadership levels and being transparent about the the data as well. So I, I, I love what you've described there about that approach. I wish more funders in the charity sector would begin to publish their data around diversity of their teams and also what they fund. I mean, even at board level, I think the, the whole fact that boards have so much decision-making power and over the sort of strategic direction of any organisation, of any charitable organisation, but then we still see that at the board level, it's largely predominantly male and white. That should not be the norm. And that definitely needs to change. And there have been some amazing charitable organizations like the National Lottery Community Fund who have published their diversity statements on how they want to increase access to opportunities as well, especially from an equity lens perspective. The co-op, so co-ops UK have had incredible sort of discussions around how they want to increase more access to black entrepreneurs wanting to build co-ops as well, but also looking into, we had an interesting chat about their board as well and they had 17 people and absolutely no person of color at the time so that's that's just not representative and it does it does make a difference in sort of decision making at that level as well so that definitely needs to change after all this is said and done and the the pandemic hopefully will will find a cure or there'll be a vaccine what do you think the social sector will look like and, and what role do you think digital can play in, in making sure that we have a secure future these sort of predictions are always hard to do <laughs> Well, let's see. We've seen a lot of amazing, like the, the work the Catalyst has done with amazing, amazing sort of charities across the country as well. And all the different sort of agencies and individuals just putting putting their efforts to helping charities adapt to a digital world in this time. That's just been really amazing to see. Now is the time and in the next couple of months as well to really see how these 
charitable organizations, regardless of how big or small they are, find more aptitude and money and budget to actually continue to deliver online services as well. It definitely sort of means that looking at how you can develop tech services in the long term, not just as a result of COVID-19. So also consider how a blend of in-person and online delivery can happen, particularly with a view to and ensuring that no one is left behind because not everyone has the right sort of tech infrastructure to actually be able to access types of services. So definitely looking into ensuring that A, we have the right infrastructure and B, the right services that are being adopted by the people that you try to help as well. And that there is a continuation of these services so they don't just stop because funding has ended. But looking into the sort of how we can make these services sustainable as well. Thank you very much for listening to episode six of season two. We'll be back next week with the final episode of this season talking to Shelley Bell of Black Girl Ventures, which is our first transatlantic episode and a great way to see out 2020. As usual, please send us your feedback. We'd love to hear about anything that you feel that you will do differently after hearing from us or any of our speakers from the series. You can share your plans, ideas or questions with us on Twitter where it starts at the top one. That starts at the top one. And you can email us at starts at the top podcast at gmail.com. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Thank you to all our listeners and we'll speak to you again next week. 